0: That we get to conclude this series. If you're new to Encounter Church or you're kind of exploring faith, one of the things that we do is we'll take a topic or a theme or a big idea, and over the course of a month, we'll unpack it and we'll kind of fully kind of explore it, look at it from different angles. and, And so this month, what we're doing is looking at this idea of taking responsibility for our lives. That as we move into 2016, that what I think is more effective than making a resolution is in taking responsibility. That if we just make a resolution for 2016, we may find ourselves with the vast majority of of the population of America uh, about a month in and completely disconnected from it. But if we take responsibility for our life, that changes the game. If we say, this year I'm taking responsibility for my health, or I'm taking responsibility for my relationships, that that can be a game changer in 2016. And that if you and I are going to see that type of life that I laid out, even at the beginning of this series... Uh, this designed life that happens at the intersection of the right priorities and the right plan, that when we have that intersection of those two avenues coming together, that we can live a designed life, the life of better decisions and fewer regrets. But that there, in the midst of that desire to live a designed life, there are ditches in that path. And Jason, two weeks ago, unpacked the first ditch, which is the driven life, which is the full steam Just keep pressing, going, uber disciplined, got it all figured out, but not exactly sure where you're headed. You're going fast, but you're not quite sure where that fast is taking you. That's one of the ditches. And all of us have probably either experienced that or know someone who's experienced that in their life, that they're a go-getter. They just don't know at the end of the day what they're going to get. It's the dog who's chasing the car that hadn't thought through what happens if I catch the car. Does the car catch me, right? But then there's this other ditch, and I think it's the this other side of the ditch of this path that is probably one that me and you can relate to, and it's the drifting life. Of you're just kind of working your way through, and there's not a lot of direction. It's just happening. You're not happening to life; life is happening to you. I kind of experienced this a few weeks ago. We were visiting with my in-laws over Christmas. And we had to drive about an hour to see some of the extended family. So everyone in my family, except for me, seems to have invented this idea that they get car sick, which means whenever I get in a car, I'm relegated to the back window or the trunk. And this was one of those moments, I'm in the third row of an SUV, which is not real, it's a lie. It is not a third row, it's a trunk with a seat, right? And and so my legs, I'm jammed up. Um, I'm deaf in one ear. You probably don't know that. I don't walk around with a name badge that says that, which means I absolutely can't tell anything and hear anything unless I'm looking at you. So I'm in the the third row. I might as well have been in solitary confinement because I hear nothing happening with all the people talking and chatting, my daughter in her car seat, my my mother-in-law, my wife in the front seat lounging, my father-in-law driving us. And in the midst of just sitting there knowing I've got at least an hour, hour and a half, I fall asleep. And and I guess it was good sleep. But I awake with the car violently shaking. And, and I kind of just like spring up in my small, small, tiny seat with panic. I mean, I'm like, this is how it ends. Because I look up and I see my father-in-law, but he's wearing sunglasses, which is the worst thing ever. Because I don't know if he's asleep or awake. All I know is the car is off the road on the rumble strips and we're shaking. And I'm like, this is how I die. A sardine in the back of the SUV. They're going to show up. They're going to get everyone else out. They're not even going to see my tiny body jammed in the back seat. Like, this is how it goes down. I realized in the back, like the third seat, I can't even do anything to stop it. Like, he's way up there. My mother-in-law wakes up screaming. Like, we all think we're dying. And he's like, oh, what? And he just kind of veers back on the street. I'm like, were you asleep? No, no, no. I think he was asleep. <laughs> but what saved me that day was those rumble strips. Because the, the highway department understands that when we get on a road for a long time, we can start to drift. And one of the ways that they prevent that drifting from turning into devastation or destruction is these things called rumble strips. And it would be really nice if life had rumble strips, right? That if we were starting to veer off course, it would just kind of jolt us a little bit or shake us and make us aware and be like, oh, I almost veered off course on that one. But life, unfortunately, does not have rumble strips. And we can find ourselves drifting for days, weeks, months, and even decades, and it, we don't realize we've been drifting until it's too late, whether it's a heart attack with our health, or whether it's bankruptcy, or whether it's divorce, or an affair, or just an inward collapse, we've been drifting and didn't even know it. And, but fortunately for us, I, I do think that while we, there may not be rumble strips for life, I think that there is a man that we can learn from whose prayer and plan can serve as an artificial rumble strip for our life. He's a guy that probably many of you, even if you didn't grow up in church, have heard of before. It's a guy named Moses. Moses is considered to be one of the humblest men who have ever lived. He was a man who's most famous for the end of his life in the last 40 years of leading out the nation of Israel from bondage of slavery in the Egyptian Empire. That he was the guy who they've made multiple movies about. He was a guy who saw supernatural movements of God and the Red Sea parting, right? I mean, there's these incredible moments in the life of Moses. But Moses' life wasn't always incredible. If you dive in and you study Moses' life, you realize that Moses. Those last forty years really were only the, the final third of his life. He he lived an extraordinarily long life. It's estimated about 120 years, and that last third of his life was the third that we would all want to have. It was a designed life, but the first two thirds of his life actually were quite tragic. He spends the first 40 years as the grandson of Pharaoh because. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses laying in a reed bed and she takes him and adopts him as a family member. And so he grows up in the house of Pharaoh. If you've ever been to Egypt, the the pyramids are still there. This is one of the most impressive civilizations in human history, right? I mean, they built an incredible civilization whose remnants still remain today. And so he grows up in what's arguably the most powerful man in the world's home. He grows up with access to the most wisdom and the most education of anyone else on planet Earth. I mean, he is not part of the one percent. He is part of the zero 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 one percent. I mean, he is in an elite group of people. Around thirties, forties, he desires to kind of jumpstart a revolution where he kills a man, thinking that the Jewish people are going to realize he's here to help, and that falls completely apart. And he has to flee. And he spends the next forty years of his life drifting in a desert watching over sheep and goats. I mean, like, imagine you're in the palace one day. You're one of the the family members of the most powerful man on planet Earth, right? You've got cred, ability, out the wazoo, right? You walk into anywhere. People listen to you. You open your mouth. People respond to you. And now, out of nowhere, you've got sheep and goats who are not listening to you. You had servants who brought you food. Now you're serving animals. And he spends forty years just kind of drifting through the wilderness, and yet in the midst of that, God meets him. And I think one of the things that happened in Moses' life is that he he got crystal clear on what the designed life was. And he writes a psalm or a song. That uh, the book of Psalms is a collection of it was the ancient Hebrews' like hymn book or song book, and most of them were poems that were written by David. But there are a few poems in there from other individuals throughout the Bible. And one of them is Moses. And I think at the end of his life, Moses writes Psalm 90, this poem, this song that's recounting the wisdom that he learned through the course of his life. And Psalm 90 is is loaded with imagery and and its rich history. And it can almost be a little off-putting when you first read it in its entirety. Because unless you get the backdrop of Moses' story, you may miss what Moses is referencing as he's kind of going through this, this poem about his life. But there's this one prayer, this one verse that I want us to dive into over the next 20 minutes. This one, this one verse that I think if you and I are willing to use it and apply it, that what we will find is it can serve as a wonderful rumble strip for our life. To help prevent us from veering off course or getting into a place where we're just drifting Psalm 90.12 is the passage we're going to be in today, and if you have the Encounter Church app, or if you haven't, I encourage you to download it. You can just click on Sermon Notes, and in fact, it's, the verse is already loaded for you, and it's already there, so you can just kind of process through it, because this is meant to be um, participatory, not necessarily you calling out things, but this is meant to help as a rumble strip for you to process through some of the questions that these verse, that this verse and this prayer is meant to invoke inside, and so Moses writes down Psalm 912 and it says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I've referenced this a couple of times because I think it's one of the most powerful things you can pray regularly. This is one of those psalms that I pray. This is a, a verse that I pray regularly. I pray this over my family, my daughter. I pray this over you. I pray this over just my life. It's, just, it's loaded with wisdom. And, but in the midst of this prayer, I think is two critical actions that he's pointing us to. And that those two critical actions are essential if we're going to recover or prevent our lives from just drifting. And ending up in places of destruction and disappointment and decisions we regret. Because that's what happens when you drift. Is you end up in a place you never intended to go. The first is that you you see that the whole purpose of this prayer is that We may gain a heart of wisdom, right? It says that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I think that's the first critical action. This heart of wisdom, if I can just kind of give you a rhyming statement, is that what this causes us to do is it causes us to clarify the must in our life, like the essential, that this critical, most important thing that helps us kind of bring laser clarity to where we're headed. And that... to use a helpful acrostic, what's important now, that spells the word win. Like, what does it look like to win in life? Like, what's the win for you? For Moses, that was his relationship with God. Moses, at the, this turning point for Moses' life was going from just drifting in the desert, keeping and watching sheep and goats, to realizing that there was a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a God who had known him before he knew of that God who had purposed his life for something. And this isn't the point of the message today. We'll get into this later. But do you know that the same God who said, Moses, there's a purpose, says that for you too. That you're not an accident. You didn't just happen. There's a purpose. And that purpose is critical. That purpose is what deep down inside we all desire to have and to work towards. And... and Moses is like, God, give me that heart of wisdom to know what's important now. Because that's what I want to do. That's that's what I want to head towards. When you have clarified what's important now, it gives you some perspective. Uh, So two nights ago, I had a living illustration of this. It was about 2.30 a.m. The night before that, my daughter had been sick, so I got like three and a half hours of sleep. Um, It was around 2.30, I'm finally sleeping, and all of a sudden I wake to hear the sound of this really loud ear-piercing beep, and I was like, oh, it was like a smoke detector, like one of the batteries is dying, And um, which you never know how many smoke detectors you have until that happens, right? And so I stumble into the living room, Um, because I'm deaf in one ear, I told you that for a reason to set you up for this, I can't tell where direction comes from. Okay, which is normally not a problem because it's coming from everywhere, right? But when it's 2.30 in the morning, you're really tired and you hear beep. And there are like eight different devices that could be beeping at you. It doesn't actually promote wholeness and peace on the inside. Okay, because at the next beep, I have a chair slid up and I'm ripping a smoke detector out of the ceiling. And literally, there's still wires hanging down from my ceiling because I was like, it's got to be this one. And it is the worst feeling in the world to be holding a smoke detector, thinking you've conquered it. And you hear, beep. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jenny walks out. Have found it? Nope. She's wandering around. We're like, you know, blind and beep. Of course, I can't tell where it's coming from, so I just run from place to place. Um, finally, it, none of the smoke detectors. I'm like, what beep. What in the world? <laughs> right? And it was a carbon monoxide tester. Sitting on the side of the wall, I'd completely forgotten that we'd even had new ones installed. And so I go over and pull it out, and it stops. But at around 2.30 a.m., that what's important now got really crystal clear for me. The most critical, important thing in my life was discovering that device that was beeping, Right? And while that's kind of a silly illustration, I think when you clarify the must, it's very similar to that. That there's a lot of things happening in life, but what's the most important thing right now? If, if you're processing and you're working and you're consumed by your job, but your kids are floundering, then the what's important now is your kids. Because the, you've got the job, it's working. But what's important right now And that's the critical component. The now part is to say, okay, I need to to put some more energy in this relationship. Uh, Having a four-year-old, I've had to do this in the last two weeks. Literally, Jenny and I were on the couch this week talking about this because somewhere along the line of the last few weeks, um, I went to sleep one night with a three-year-old who woke up as a 14-year-old. And I don't know how it happened. I don't know where all that stuff came from. But it's like she's a 14-year-old with emotions and drama, and um, just this, like, daddy, stop doing that because I don't like when you do that, or, I don't like your bald head, and I'm like, well, we got problems because I'm stuck with this thing, and, um, and I mean, I literally looked at Jenny, I was like, what was working at two and three with disciplines, like, not working anymore? What was working with two and three for, like, explaining and guiding and leading and helping her with emotions isn't working anymore? And so what's important right now for us is figuring out how to lead this little 14-year-old. Secondarily, what's important for, is for me to get into counseling because I can already tell it's going to start to affect me, right, when she actually becomes 14. Because this is like, oh, my goodness, this has completely caught me off guard. For some of you, the what's important right now is your health. And, and you're like, I, I really need to get control over my health it's not so much about weight. It's about your health and being physically healthy because you realize that your family, your work life, just your overall well-being is being affected just by not being healthy. Or maybe it's your finances. You're drowning in debt. And what's important right now is to dig out of this hole. But when you clarify the must, that gives you an ability and a perspective. When you've clarified the fact, you know what, I'm, I'm processing through a divorce right now. And what's important right now is me and wholeness and emotional health and that that needs to be the focal point that's got to be the must because all these other things are affected by that and the healing that I need that this laser clarity of clarifying the must sets us up to take the next step that where he says teach us to number our days that when you've processed the must and you have a heart of wisdom and you define that when, then what starts to happen is now you're in a position to evaluate the plan that you need to do to make the adjustment. He says, teach me to number my days. How many days do I have left? Let me help you even drill down a little bit more. Um, As of right now, like literally in this hour, based on the average amount of hours that you and I sleep, we've got 5,384 waking hours left in 2016. Like that's how many hours you and I have left this year. When you start to do the numbers and you start to do the math and maybe you multiply it by 10 or 20 or 30 or feel generous, 40, 50, 60, what starts to happen is you realize that there is a limited amount of time that we all have. And from where I am right now and where I desire to be down the road means I need to adjust and make adjustments in my plan in order to get there because if I've clarified the must, then I have to make the adjust. That's where he's saying, teach me to number of my days. That I need to know where it is I'm going, that's the must, and now adjust to get there. If one of the things that I think that's a really helpful life skill is something that the Naval Academy teaches all of their cadets. And it's this concept called checking your azimuth, which is not a word that you normally use every day. Last time you probably never used that word, right? Hey, hey, Bob, can you tell me what the azimuth is? Yeah, like that's not a word you normally use, but the concept is actually quite brilliant. So, naval cadets are taught orientation, and it's not the orientation like, oh, welcome to the naval school, like this is the bathroom, and here's where you're, like it's orientation as in getting from one direction to the other, navigation, orientation. So, one of the things that, the kind of the culmination of this training is they're dropped in the wilderness, and they're told, your bearing is this landmark over there, it's this degree, that blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of given their assignment, make it to that place, and then they're left. And all they have is a compass. So they have this navigational device, and they're dropped in the woods. And they kind of meander their way in the general direction. But the way that they're trained is this idea of called checking your azimuth, which is you find the tallest tree, you climb it. When you're at the top of the tree, you find your point that you were supposed to be navigating towards. You look at your compass. You adjust your bearings. And once you've gotten that set, you climb back down the tree. You meander your way with that bearing. Check your azimuth again. Climb up the tree. Find your point. Recalibrate. Adjust. Climb back down. Meander your way. And, And that repeated numerous checking over time. Helps the naval cadets, even in places they've never been, be able to get to places that they've never been before. But they, they know that's where I need to go. And what I think Moses is outlining for us is really the same idea, that when you've clarified the must, then you, you're able to make that adjustment. Because you're like, that's where I need to go. And so checking your azimuth looks like, all right, let me, let me look to see where we are right now. This is where I am relationally. And we veered off course. Like, we started strong, and now we're both just kind of cohabitating. Right? We're just kind of, we have schedules that run concurrent with each other, but there's not a lot of relationship. It's just kind of being in the same room at the same time. Or even what I alluded to earlier with parenting, that it's not just a four-year-old that goes to, that there's major life transitions for your kids, and that Those major life transitions serves as reminders for you to climb back up the tree, check your bearings, and say, okay, you know what? They're going in the middle school. I need to make some adjustments. I need to start investing some quality one-on-one time to have conversations about some things that are coming down the pipeline. But by doing that, clarifying the must, making the adjustment, what we find is we start to start on a journey going to the place that we actually want to go. And by doing that repetitiously, we're constantly finding ourselves navigating and adjusting from where we are to where we want to be. And that, that clarifying the must, making the adjusts, clarifying the must, and building it into the rhythm of your life is what Moses was trying to say, right? He says, teach us. He, he understands this is, this is not our default. This is something we have to be taught right? If it was our default, everybody would get to the end of their life and be like, yes, exactly where I wanted to be. But that's not the typical story. Average isn't getting to the place you want to get to. That's above average. Most, most people don't end up with the type of life that when they were 8, 10, 15, or 21 that they dreamed about. They end up in places they never intended to go. And that's why Moses says, God, teach us. Because if I'm not taught, I go default. And default is not the destination I want to go to. None of us want a default relationship with our spouse. None of us want a default relationship with our kids. None of us want to be in a default place in our job. We want, a, we want more than that. It goes back to this Purpose we we intuitively understand we were made for something and that's what we want to do that's who we want to be and Moses' guidance of clarifying the must and making the adjust isn't just a plan it's also a prayer a very powerful prayer that you and I can play can can pray regularly in 2004 matt emmons was in the 50 meter three position rifle competition His first nine shots, um, he had averaged 9.3 on a scale of 10. He was dominating the pack. As an American, it looked very clear that America was going to win another gold medal. In fact, going into his final shot, all he had to do was hit the paper because he was that far ahead of everyone else. And so Matt sets up 50 meters out, engages his rifle, scopes into the bullseye, pulls the trigger, bullseye. He puts his rifle down. He turns over because he's about to do the fist pump because he just won a gold medal. Turns around the leaderboard, and it says zero. He turns to look at the judges' and he motions, and the judges are still circled up, conferring. They enter something into the scoreboard. He turns back around, and it says Zero again. Matt had hit the wrong target. His target was number three, and what he'd done was hit target two. And in the world of rifle competition, that's called a crossfire, and you don't get points for hitting someone else's target. And Matt, who was the surefire winner of the gold medal, left that day in eighth place all because he hit the wrong target. I think the scary thing about what Matt experienced is that we can do the same thing in life. That we can drift and find ourselves hitting a target that we never intended to hit. A target that wasn't the one that we were supposed to be moving towards. Because we didn't take time to clarify the must and make the adjust. And as we move into 2016, I would encourage you not just to take this as a plan, But to take this as a prayer. Say, God, lead me. Teach me. Because if you don't teach me, then I'll start to live the default. But if you will, then my life can end up in places I never intended it to go. And one of the things that Encounter Church... We like to create spaces and environments for you to be able to take next steps. Because um, we're for you. We, we want to come alongside whatever God's doing. And for some of you, you can connect with that Moses realization that faith is one of the most important things, that faith is the paramount, the most, paramount most important thing. And, but maybe you, you've got struggles, questions, and doubts. And I encourage you to swing by starting point or to click on starting point on the app and, and sign up for a life group called Conversations. And it'll be something that I lead, and it's, it's all about just a place to begin and belong. Like, I've got some questions about faith, and I'm not sure. And it's a safe place to have those questions and doubts and struggles and disagreements where we kind of create this space where you can begin to ask those questions, but at the same time, belong. And you say, I, I fit in here. They accept me for who I am and give me a place to be able to ask those tough questions. Or maybe... You recognize it's so easy to drift, but if, if I had someone around me, then maybe I could be encouraged and, you know, challenged. Because community can serve as one of those rumble strips. And I would encourage you to even explore life groups or serving here because those are little community environments that we've created to help us make better decisions and fewer regrets, to, to take what happens on Sundays and to push it deeper into our personal and professional lives. Or maybe it's just simply a prayer. Like, I I don't know what to do. I'm going to click on the prayer request. No one else sees it. It just goes to the staff. We get that, and we pray for you. And we think about you. And we ask God to step in on your behalf. And here's the best part. I had someone tell me this this week. They're like, well, I could tell they weren't sure if they believe what I believe. But they're like, I think you believe it. So you believing it's probably enough. Would you pray for that? I was like, yeah. Look. There's enough people here that have faith that even if you aren't sure that you have faith, we can have faith for you. We can come alongside and pray the things that you're not sure if, if it's even worth praying and to step into that journey with you. So whatever that next step is, we want you to know that we're for you, that we're with you, because above us all is a God who is for us, who is with us, who desires to see us live a life better decisions, fewer regrets, And to live out the way Moses discovered a life that's overflowing, that's filled with purpose, direction, and impact. Let's pray.